So, I forgot to say last time that when Jesus knocked Saul down on the road heading north to Damascus, he introduces himself saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? That's interesting. That's very, very important. Jesus told Saul that he was not persecuting saints or persecuting followers of the way, but he said, you're persecuting me. You'll see what I mean if you'll come with me to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. We've got to compare Scripture with Scripture on some of these things, not on everything, not on every verse we're going to look at tonight. But what I always recommend is, this is the way you study the Bible, you know, and I always recommend that if you are not as familiar with the Bible as what you'd like to be, and if you find that that uh, if you try to follow me and by the time you get to the verse, I'm already gone to another verse or gone back to where we, we started. If that's the case, it's okay just to sit and listen or to turn to some of them because you don't get better at it until you, you, know, you get involved with the Bible study and you're turning to some of these verses. But if you find it's hard to do that, don't, don't be frustrated or anything. Just it's okay to sit and listen too. So Romans chapter 16, verse 7. Look what we find here. Paul says, salute Andronicus. And uh, Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. There are those who teach uh, incorrectly that the body of Christ started with the Apostle Paul. The body of Christ is the church. The body of Christ is the church universal. Um, the body of Christ is anyone who gets saved, they are baptized, immersed into the body of Christ. We, we looked at that in 1 Corinthians 12. The moment that they believe. And so in northern Congo right now, uh, there's been a great persecution of Christians. That's a very dangerous place in the world to live. There's one woman in particular, and I don't know her name, and I didn't write it, off, write it down offhand, but this woman is uh, a great woman of faith and is really renowned for her open witness, and she has been witnessing left and right, and people have been getting saved as a result of her witness. She was recently persecuted, and while being uh, hunted by uh, these God-haters and people who want to try to get rid of Christianity in Congo, uh, she was hit by a bullet that was uh, aimed at their, their, their group, their church of, of Christians. And she was hit by a bullet and uh, uh, she was hurt by this and taken to the hospital. And they were after her life. But you see, a person who gets saved in Congo uh, tonight is in the body of Christ just as much as I am in the body of Christ. A person who's saved in the underground house churches in China, they're in the body of Christ right along with all of us here, all at the same time. That's the, the invisible church, which is called the body of Christ in the Bible. We won't look at all those verses. We've looked at them before. That is the church, which is his body, Paul explains. And that's the universal church. You also have in the Bible the local church. As a matter of fact, the Bible mentions the local church way more often than it does the universal church or the invisible church. You have the local churches. But what Paul was referring to here is he said that there were people who were in Christ before me. So the body of Christ did not start with Paul. We just need to know that tonight. For most of you, it probably 
It's just uh, good information, but it's not really an issue with you. And then maybe for some of you, you've heard uh, false teaching where the body of Christ started with Paul. And what that leads to, what's called hyper-dispensationalism, and what that leads to is a rejection of all Scripture unless it was written by Paul. And if you follow hypers long enough, people who are hyper, they go too far on a thing. If you follow hypers too far, what they'll end up saying is really the only letters that 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 uh, apply to us are the prison epistles. That's how far they'll go. And what they do is they slice and dice the bread of the word of God, and they end up just giving you a little slice. And they say, that's all that applies to you. And that's incorrect. The way that you show that is you show them, Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? That means that the body of Christ was formed before Paul was saved. Now, hold on. Just hold on to that. I'll develop that thought in just a minute. Look at another one. 1 Corinthians 10.32. So you have Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians 10.32. Talking about this doctrine of the body of Christ. This is what I love about teach preaching is because you're just not going to get this information any other way. You know, we've got to get into the Word of God. We've got to dig deep into it and study it. And we've got to study doctrine. It'll help you to be grounded. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 32. So it says here in uh, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 32, Paul says, Give none offense, neither to the Jew, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Do you see that there? Three groups. And that's what you have in the world today. You have the Jews. You have the Gentiles. That's the nations. That's everybody else that's not a Jew. And then you have a third group, the church of God. That is the church, which is his body. And tonight, if you're saved, you and I are in this third group. We're not counted among the Jews or the Gentiles. Sure, we have a Gentile lineage. That's true, according to the flesh. But when God looks at us spiritually, We're a part of the church of God, the church, which is his body. Now, friends, what that means is that the body of Christ was formed at the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down. When the Holy Spirit was given to the church, the Holy Spirit's work is a work of putting people into, baptizing them into the body of Christ. And we need to know this about that. God doesn't mutilate his son's body. God won't go cutting up his son's body. Once you get in that body, you're in. And God won't cut you out. You see, that's where we start getting into that teaching of eternal security. It's just biblical. But you got to get the doctrine. And now, you know what's going to happen? This is what's going to happen. Nobody knows about the body of Christ yet. That's why I say that the Bible is progressive. Now, you're saying... Pastor, do we need to put on snorkels and and flippers? Are we going real deep, you know? Maybe we ought to get our oxygen tanks, you know, and are we going real deep now? It's not that deep. It's not hard to get. But you got to understand this. The other disciples, they don't know anything about the body of Christ in Acts chapter 9. And at this point, Paul is, he's confused at this point. He doesn't know what's going on, but he hears When I was persecuting Christians, Jesus said I was doing it to him. And he's going to get an education that no man could give him. We're going to study about that. But at this point, nobody knows about the body of Christ. Do you know why? Does anybody know why no one knows? 
That was a revelation only given to Paul. And it's one of the mysteries, the body of Christ and Christ in you. It's a mystery. And it was given to the Apostle Paul. But where those hyper-dispensationalists go wrong is they say the body of Christ did not exist until Paul. And what they'll do is they'll end up going so far in their error that they'll say, we don't even need to be baptized because that was a Jewish thing. And that's, yes, and it's revelation. So that means just God is bringing them along. And you say, is that biblical? Are you just making this stuff up? No. Don't you remember when Jesus was talking to his disciples and he said, I have many things to teach you. I have all kinds of stuff to tell you about. But he said, you can't handle it right now in so many words. That's my paraphrase. You can't take it right now. Yes. What's that say? Deuteronomy 29, 29. Let's let's read that. I'll read it to you. I'll get it real quick. And what Jesus was saying, there's all kinds of stuff right now that you can't handle. And Jesus said, I'm going to give you another comforter and the Holy Spirit will teach you of the things that you need to know. So Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the secret things belong unto the Lord our God. Yes, that's good. But those things which are revealed, you see, belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. You know, there's things that have been revealed to us. It's exciting if you think about it. The prophets desired to look into these things. God gave them these prophecies and then just said, seal up the book. And they didn't understand what they even wrote down. They would sit down to study it and they'd want to know and the Lord wouldn't give it to them. He'd say, it's not for you. You're ministering unto those that will be heirs of these promises. And we get it, folks. Do you you realize that? We know more of the Bible than anybody in the whole history of redemption ever knew. And you got people who won't study the Bible. I don't get it. Churches who will not study the Bible. I don't get it. I just don't get it. So back in uh, Acts chapter 9, the body of Christ uh, did did, uh, exist before Paul. And that's why Jesus could say, when you persecute me, when you persecute my people, you're persecuting me. And the same thing is true today. All right, so let's go up to Acts chapter 9 and verse 10. All right, so this is after uh, Saul has his encounter with the Lord. He's been left blind. He, he's not going to eat for three days. Going to go three days without sight. Verse 9, and not eating nor drinking, which is just incredible. And then in verse 10, there was a certain disciple at Damascus. That's, that's where he was heading, up north, named Ananias. This is not the same as Ananias and Sapphira. This is a different guy. But Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. His word, or his name, excuse me, is a Greek version of the Hebrew word Hananiah. And so this is a Greek Jew who became a believer in Christ. So he's a Jewish Christian. Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. So Saul's men, they obeyed the Lord. The Lord said, uh, I want you to go to Tarsus, or go to, uh, go to Damascus, 
And the Lord took him to this house, Judas's house on Straight Street, which, by the way, still exists. There's still a street named Straight in Damascus. It was named that because it was the only straight street uh, in the city. And the Lord said, I want you to go there. And then he said, I'll tell you what to do when you get there. And when Saul got there, he had to be led by the hand. You know, he was, he was blind. He had to be led by the hand. And when he got there, God gave him more help. God gave him a friend. He gave him Ananias. And you know, God's going to give him another friend after this. And I think that's what God does for his servants from time to time. He gives us friends to help us along. And we might say, well, I'm no Saul. I'm not going to do these great things that he did. But God's got a plan for all of us. He has a will for your life. And if you pay attention, if you look around, you'll find that God gives you people from time to time to help you through different situations. Ananias wasn't with him all the way. Then the next time it would be Barnabas. And then he'd have his Timothy, you know, and his Titus. Because for the most part, Paul was a loner. He was uh, by himself a lot of the time, but he did have his friends to help him. So there's Ananias, and he's going to need him because everybody's afraid of, of Saul. And so there he is. He's in uh, the house of Judas, and he's just waiting. And then verse 12, And hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in. So the Lord gave Saul a vision of Ananias. They both got a vision. You know that? Um, there's a difference between a vision and a dream. A dream is something that happens in the middle of the night. A vision may or may not come in the middle of the night. You might be uh, wide awake and the Lord uh, comes to you and gives you a vision. Uh, we read about different things that happened here in the Bible. Uh, whether or not these things happen today, I don't know. I've never had a vision. I've heard of some people who have had them, but it's always on the other side of the world and you're never able to really check out whether it was credible. I'll say this. I don't think the Lord is uh, unable to do it today, you know, and maybe he will do. I know he will do more visions during the tribulation period, but um, what does it say? Your young men shall dream dreams. Your old men shall see visions, things like that. Um, my dad, when he went through a time of incredible grief and loss after losing his four-year-old daughter, died suddenly. Her throat swelled up and she suffocated before they could get her to the emergency room. And my dad was just crushed, you know, depressed, couldn't do anything. And the Lord gave him a dream at night, which he felt was so real. He felt like it was a vision, but it was a dream. And he gave him a dream that he saw his daughter, Amy, my sister, that uh, this was before I was born, in heaven, full grown. And I said, Dad, that, that's actually biblical. That's what will happen to children. They'll go to heaven and they, will be, they won't be just little children running around. Uh, but, I, but it looks like from the scriptures they'll be full grown and waiting for their glorified body. So um, he has a vision and the Lord links them up and gives them both confidence that what they're doing, that, that God's in it with these visions. And then uh, verse 13, then Ananias answered, Lord, huh, he doesn't want to do it, you know. He doesn't want to go see this Saul. He said, Lord, I've heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. I don't think Ananias is a coward. I would agree with the commentators when they say that. I don't think he's a coward. I think he's being careful. He knows that Saul is a vicious, dangerous man. 
Saul himself said that he wasted the church of God, which is another reference. Saul himself said that the church of God existed before, you know, he was converted. He wasted the church of God. He was a dangerous man. And Ananias, uh, just his first reaction was to avoid that situation. And so he says, have you heard about all the evil? (laughs) Of course the Lord has. And you know what the Lord does? The Lord talks to him kind of like a friend. He doesn't scold him. He doesn't say, Ananias, don't you know who I am? I'm the Lord of glory. I'm almighty God. (laughs) He doesn't do that. He he talks to him kind of like talking to a friend. He says, and here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me. And he gives him some reasons to sort of comfort him. I'm going to tell you why you need to go, Ananias. For one thing, he's a chosen vessel. So he's helping him out. He's giving him some confidence in what he's doing. And he's going to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And I'll show him how great things he must suffer. Why did the Lord tell him this stuff? He didn't have to tell him this stuff. But it's almost like he was treating him like a friend and letting him in on what he was doing. If the Lord was just our Lord and master and we're just his slaves... A master doesn't tell his slaves what he's going to do and his plans and everything that's going to happen in the future. The master just says, do this, and when you're done doing that, do that. And I'll tell you what to do after that. That's a Lord-slave type of a relationship. And I hear a lot of talk about that, and I just don't see it in the Bible like that. I see the Lord more like talking to his servants like friends and letting them know some of the things that he's doing. Has he not told us some things that he plans on doing in the future? Has he not given us all of this revelation and explained the ins and the outs and the whys? I tell you, tonight, the Lord is your friend. (laughs) He's your friend. And you know what's exciting? Ananias is just uh, what we'd call a layman, just a regular guy. He's not some apostle or some great missionary. He's just a friend. He's just... The average Joe, he's just a layman like us, you know, like, like maybe you consider yourself. And the Lord is going to have things for you to do, and he wants you to get in close to him. And he wants you to know that he's your friend, and he wants you to know that he's going to let you in on what he's doing. He's got many thoughts towards you, and his plans towards you and for your life are, are uh, more wonderful than, than we can imagine. His plans for our life is better than anything we can come up with. If I'd say anything to young people, any advice uh, to young people tonight, I'd say this. Get on board with what God wants to do with your life, because it's much better than anything else that you can come up with. And you'll be able to look back one day and look back at all that God has done and look back at his faithfulness through the trials and everything. And it's much more interesting. Life is much more exciting to serve the Lord, that's that's for sure. But did you notice that um, in verse 13... He says, Lord, haven't you heard about all the evil that Saul has done to your saints? That's the first time that saints shows up in the New Testament. So that's the first mention of it. And uh, you know what he's talking about? You know who saints are in the Bible? In verse 14, saints are people who call on Jesus' name. So that means if you've called on Jesus for salvation tonight, you are a saint, according to the Bible. You ever heard somebody say, well, I'm no saint, you know. Well, if you're saved, you are. 
I don't care what religion says. I don't need some uh, bishop to uh, recommend me to the, to the Holy Roman See. And I don't have to die, you know. In, in, in organized religion, the only people that become saints are people who die or you have to, I think you have to do a miracle or two, you know, like, wouldn't it be enough if I just did one miracle to be a saint? I mean, wouldn't that just be like, okay, you got it. You got saint status. No, but in the Bible, anyone who believes that calls on the name of the Lord, it doesn't matter what your life looks like. You're a saint. You say, what's a saint? Remember, we were studying holy and sanctified this morning. A saint is a set-apart person. That's what saint means. It's the same thing as holy or sanctified. It means you are set apart. You say, what's that mean? It means you are in Adam. You are either a Jew or a Gentile. And God took you out of, your, of the federal head of the human race, out of Adam's line, Adam's helpless, fallen human race, took you out of Adam and put you into Jesus, the last Adam. And now you're standing, your position is that you are in Christ. And everything that he's done and everything that he is, all of his merit is all put on your account. That's what it means to be a saint. When God looks at you, he sees you as being justified, not guilty. You're a saint. And so we find that in the Bible. We find that the Bible is very different from religion, friends, brothers and sisters. Very different from religion. And you have this spirit of the age. I'll I'll move on just here in just a second. You have this spirit of the age of everybody getting together into one church. And guess who's at the top? We all know who's at the top. Nobody else is going to be able to be at the top of that thing. It's got to be Big Papa, right? He's got to be at the top. And that is the, that's Mystery Babylon. That is the mystery uh, church of the end times. And everybody is moving into it. Lutheran church is busy going into it. Um, And you know what they say? They don't say you're a saint. And they would deny that you're a priest. They make a special priest class. If, if, if anybody ever tries to talk you into becoming ecumenical or participating with denominations and all of it leading to Rome, avoid it like the plague. It is a curse, and it is the Antichrist and the spirit of Antichrist. The Pope himself is not the Antichrist, but he is Antichrist. He's been, he's been called that by everybody since the Reformation and before the Reformation. Um, now you know what church you're in tonight, amen? Amen. You're a saint. You're a saint. Now you're supposed to live like it. All right, so he's a chosen vessel, verse 15. Saul's a chosen vessel. What does that mean? It's not talking about his salvation. It's talking about his service. He's chosen to serve the Lord in a very unique way. He is going to go and to bear the name of Christ, verse 15, before the Gentiles. But not just that, kings, which he did, not just that, and the children of Israel. Do you see it? His job was not just to go to the Gentiles, although that was his main job, He was the apostle to the Gentiles, but his job was also to go to the children of Israel. And you know what he did everywhere he went? 
once his name was changed to Paul, I keep calling him that. But Paul would go into a town, just like he's going to do with Damascus. He'd go into a town, and the first thing he would do was go to the synagogue. And you know what the synagogue is, right? That's like the Jewish church. They meet on Saturday night, or Friday night and Saturday morning. That's the Sabbath. The synagogue meets on Friday night because the Sabbath actually starts Friday at 6 p.m. And it ends Saturday at 6 p.m. So they go Friday night, Saturday at 6, or Saturday early in the morning. And every time he would go into town, the first thing he would do is he would go to the Jew first. Because that was his pattern. He said the gospel's for the Jew first and then also for the Greek. But Paul was primarily to the Gentiles. But he had a great burden for his Jewish people. You know that? I I want you to see that real quick. And I want to ask you tonight, um, do you have a burden for anybody? I'm talking about, you say, what's a burden? It means that you want somebody to get saved so bad that sometimes you're praying and you cry for them. You got a burden. You got soul winner's tears. Would you look at Romans 11? Paul had a great burden. And we can't just work this up. We can't work it up with some emotional music in the beginning of a church service. (laughs) <laughs> that ain't going to do it. It's, it comes from you being exposed to the written Word of God and the living Word of God, Jesus, speaking to your heart because it's the burden of His heart. It's for souls, for lost souls. Paul had a burden, something fierce, for his own people, his kinsmen according to the flesh. So in Romans chapter, I told you 11, you, are you there? Okay, turn over to 10. You were close, but you were one chapter short. Chapter 10, in verse 1. Look what, look what Paul said here. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. You see that? I want them to be saved. Paul would, would get down, no doubt on his knees, down on his face all the time and say, God, save Israel, save my people. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. So they had a lot of religious enthusiasm, but they were ignorant of the simple gospel of the grace of God. They being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. You say, what's that? That's the righteousness that he gives you. It's a foreign righteousness, you understand. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to Jesus, and he gives it to you when you get saved. And people say, no, that won't work. I have to do something for my salvation. No, God gives you a foreign righteousness. It's the righteousness. Remember the Bible says that Jesus is our righteousness? It's the righteous record of Jesus put on your account. And they're ignorant of it, and they're going about to establish their own righteousness. Then verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. And uh, he goes on to say, I'm looking for it, uh, and I think this is the right place, where he says that I could wish myself accursed. Do I have the right place? I could wish myself accursed for my brethren according to the flesh. And that's what I'm looking for. And I'm wondering if I have it. Maybe it is in 11. 
Okay. Okay, well, while we're here, in 11 verse 13, and maybe if somebody can find that verse that says, I could wish myself accursed, A-C-C-U-R is accursed. But notice in chapter 11 verse 13, Paul had a great desire for the Jews, but the Lord wanted to send him, not, not to the Jews primarily, but to the Gentiles. So chapter 11 verse 13 and he, uh, he realized this after being with the Lord. I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my office. I magnify my office. Do you see that he was the apostle, the sent one to go to the Gentiles. And do you know who Peter uh, was sent to primarily? We won't look at that verse. But Peter had the gospel to the circumcision. That's referring to the Jews. Paul had the gospel to the uncircumcision. Not two different gospels, but that they were both sent to different groups primarily. Peter to the Jews, Paul to the Gentiles. That's important for us to know. But uh, I want to find that, find that verse now that we're looking for it. Wish myself accursed. And because uh, we're talking about a burden for Israel. Okay, give me just a moment. 9-3? Yes, thank you, sister. All right. So Romans chapter 9, I knew it was at the top of one of the chapters. Um, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. So that's why I'm saying you can't just work it up. But if you've got that burden for souls and for your lost family members and friends, uh, you could say it and say, my conscience bears me witness. The Holy Ghost knows that I'm telling the truth, that I have a great heaviness and I have this sorrow and it's a continual sorrow. And he, Paul went so far. Now, I, I don't think we ought to say something like this, but Paul went so far as to say in verse three, I wish that myself were accursed. Paul said, I'd rather go to hell. And so that my brothers and sisters, according to the flesh, the, the Jews could be saved. You see that? For my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, and all of those things. Paul wanted them to be saved so bad. Listen, have you ever wept over somebody's soul? I can say it, the truth, and say it in good conscience, and the Holy Spirit bearing me witness that I have. Now, I go through periods of getting cold on God and not caring about people's souls. You know, in one place in the Bible it says, No man careth for my soul. 
God, what he does is he puts a burden on a man and on a woman. Just take one of them, just like he did with Paul. Just take one and put a burden on them. And this heavy, continual sorrow to get us to pray for souls. And to do something about it, to put feet to our prayers. People have this idea today that you just get this professional minister up here and uh, we'll just let him do all that evangelizing. Ah, uh-uh, that's not the way it works. You can reach people I can't reach. And I've been out praying. Sometimes I used to go on like, I used to jog and stuff and I'd just pray for Byesville while I was out jogging. The Lord sometimes would give me soul winners tears. And I found out that when you get that burden and when you sort of wet the soil of, you know, the, your gospel ministry with your tears, your field that you're on, the Lord would give me tears to wet the soil of Byesville, that you'd really get that burden and you'd really go out for people and, and really go after them. And the Lord would give you fruit. He that goeth forth and winneth souls, right? Uh, he's wise. And it says you'll doubtless come again if you go forth with tears. Doubtless come again rejoicing. So church, let us be burdened. Let's close uh, up in uh, Acts chapter 9. Let us be burdened. Let us get something from this more than just knowledge. Let us be burdened to go and reach people because it's the heart. It's the very heart of Jesus Christ. And uh, we're going to read about some of the things in verse 16. We'll just stop there. Some of the things that, that, that Saul, and who, who would become Paul, that he would suffer in verse 16. The Lord's telling Ananias, you go to him now. You go get him and you go help him out because this man is going to suffer greatly for my name's sake. And it's interesting because a lot of Christians suffered because of his zeal. And he tells us in his testimonies, we'll read it in the book of Acts eventually, that he did it in ignorance. He really didn't know what he was doing. And so the Lord didn't hold him accountable. But a lot of people suffered and some people died because of Saul. And the Lord says, Saul's going to suffer some things for me. And what he is, Saul is a pattern saint. He's a pattern saint to show us that as Christians, if all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. As Christians, we're going to be tried, we're going to be tempted. And if God can save Saul, if God can save Saul, think about it. Think who he was, a murderer. He wasted the church of God. He hated Jesus of Nazareth. If God can save him, he can save anybody in your family, any one of your friends, any one of your coworkers, any one of your children or grandchildren. He can save them. Um, I don't want to let the I don't want to like tell you all the good news that I know about. But we're going to be rejoicing as a church here. Early part of next year, I believe, maybe before next year, we'll be rejoicing as a church for some people that we've been praying for for their salvation. When we see God working in their hearts and their lives, be hopeful. You believe God's going to save people because of your witness? You say, I don't think so. Well, that's why he won't. (laughs) But if you believe that he will, you say, Lord, give me soul winner's tears. Help me to pray. I'll close with this. I heard about a family, an evangelist and his wife. Every time that they sat down at their dinner table, either he would look over at his wife or his wife would look over to him and say, we better get down and pray for so-and-so. So before they ate, they'd get down on their knees beside their chairs. I'm not saying you have to do that, but every time they would do that, they'd sit down, get down on their knees, and they'd say, oh, God, save so-and-so. They just prayed it over and over again. You know what happened? So-and-so got saved. So-and-so got saved. They had a burden. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father... Lord, I thank you tonight for the word of God. 
Lord, give us a burden. Give us a burden for a, a bus ministry. Give us a burden for souls in Racine and, and in Syracuse and in uh, Leetart. Give us a burden, Lord. Give us soul winners' tears. Give us that, even that continual sorrow. And Lord, uh, if we go about and working in these ministries and different kind of gospel ministries, Lord, and if we go forth uh, weeping, bearing precious seed, we'll doubtless come again rejoicing. Give us faith to believe that uh, what we do, whether we're planting, sowing, or watering the seed, that what we do is going to yield an increase and yield some fruit. I pray that you give us fruit for our labor as well in this church. In Jesus' name, amen.